it was either my seventh or eighth birthday party, and I can't remember which one, but that's okay. And uh, my, uh, my family took me and a few of my friends to a Mobile Mystics game. Uh, if you are not familiar with the Mystics franchise, uh, they were a uh, minor league hockey team that for a while played in, of course, in Mobile uh, at their Civic Center. Uh, they do not exist anymore. Um, and their mascot was a dragon, and that was pretty cool. But uh, for some reason, um, and many of you know, I'm not the most uh, athletic sports-oriented person that you've ever met, uh, but... I really wanted to go to this Mystics game. And so for my birthday, that's where we went. Uh, so it was me and my family and about three or four different friends that they let me uh, choose to, to bring with us. And we went into the game. And I remember, uh, I remember my dad telling me, just so you know, because it's your birthday, your name is going to be up on the screen. Uh, you're going to be able, everybody's going to be able to see your name uh, up where, where the scoreboard is and, uh, and everyone's going to know that it's your birthday. And uh, so I was very excited about that. And of course we go in and we're sitting down and uh, I think we even, uh, I think we even had like cupcakes or cake and we just did it all in the seats right there. And uh, you know, I opened presents and uh, all while still kind of watching this game. And so finally, it's time for them to announce the birthday uh, or birthdays. And uh, so then they, they start to say, all right, so here's our birthdays. And they, they start putting the names up on the screen. And of course, I'm not the only one with the birthday. And I think my name was up there for maybe five seconds total. And so my name's up there, and I'm kind of processing it. Of course, I'm either seven or eight, so it takes me a second. And when I finally realize it's up there, it is gone. And it doesn't come back up. Uh, that's the only time that it's up on that screen. And I was so upset by this because the way that I was thinking was all of these people are here at this Mystics game with me to celebrate my birthday. And we spent five seconds looking at my name, and now it's gone, and now I, I, don't, even, I don't even understand this, this whole concept. But to me, when I was either turning seven or eight, again, cannot remember which one it was, I, I was thinking, you know, wasn't this whole event for me? Wasn't the whole reason that we were here was to celebrate my birthday? And of course, the people that were with me um, kind of helped me understand this fact that, that they were celebrating my birthday. But wasn't this whole thing really entirely about me? And of course, now looking back on it, I realize how ridiculous that sounds. But at the time, it made perfect sense to me that this was my birthday party and and everyone, just as I was, should be celebrating that with me. I think a lot of times we don't mean to do it, um, but a lot of times we have this same mentality. We tend to look at our situation 
and try to understand why things aren't completely revolving around ourselves. Uh, and I think not only that, but I think we also go to great lengths to get what we want. And sometimes that requires us being uh, a little more selfish than maybe we would like, but, but we continue to, to do that and uh, we do whatever it takes for things to go our way. And sometimes I think we allow that uh, in, in certain situations in our lives, uh, we allow this selfishness to take over and uh, we kind of allow it to spiral out of control to where before we know it, our mentality is that this is all about me. I want to start off by looking at Second uh, uh, Samuel chapter 11. Uh, and if, you'll, if you want to go ahead and turn there, what I want to do is I want to actually just kind of explain a little bit of this story to you, kind of give you a quick recap of this. Uh, but within 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, we see a story about David. And, and in, this, in this story, David did whatever it took to make things go his way. David did whatever he needed to do so that way this outcome worked out uh, exactly how he wanted it to. And of course, this is the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, and we see Bathsheba, and of course David sees Bathsheba. We know that she is uh, married, and we know that he knows this. And we also know that he does not care. And uh, so, basically, one thing leads to another, and uh, David brings her uh, to him, and the next thing they know, Bathsheba is then pregnant, and uh, it is with David's child. And so David now has a problem, uh, because, again, she is married, and she is married to Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah the Hittite is a man who is actually fighting for David. Uh, he is fighting for, for these people. And uh, so, David's first solution, of course, David is trying to figure out how am I going to uh, alleviate this situation? How am I going to kind of dig myself out of this hole? And so, uh, what David does is uh, he brings Uriah home from battle. And he sends him home and he says, you go home and uh, just enjoy uh, being back here. Um, go to your wife and spend time with her. But of course we see that this man, Uriah, is so loyal to David that he doesn't go home. He goes right outside and, and he basically sleeps uh, at the door of, of where David lives. And uh, so we see the loyalty of this man and so then David basically tries kind of the same thing again. And uh, there's no luck. Uh, he's not able to, uh, to, to get him to go back home. And uh, so David's final plan, his third and final idea, is to send Uriah back into battle, but to send him to a place in battle where he knows that he will not survive. And so that's what he does. So David sends him back into battle. And of course, Uriah is basically put on the front lines and Uriah is killed in battle. And of course, David at this point simply looks at it and says, problem is solved. 
everything is good, uh, everything has worked out the way that, uh, that I've been hoping it would. And David is completely blind to what he's just done. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is where we see that, that Nathan comes to David. And, and Nathan presents this story to him uh, where he's able to really sympathize with, uh, allow David to sympathize with the life of Uriah without realizing it. Uh, but we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 7, this is what Nathan then says to David. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. David had so much in his life. He was blessed with, with so many things. He was, he was the king. But that was not enough for him, and he wanted more. And so then, in chapter 11, we see David caught up in this, this love story. And, and if you look back at this whole concept, it almost seems like, like a sitcom of, of just ridiculous things that he's willing to do without realizing exactly how in the wrong he is. And he goes so far to follow through with this plan of selfishness that a man is, is killed in order for things to go his way. And of course, later on, David realizes this and he suffers greatly because of the decision that he made. But his eyes are open to this selfishness that, that he had so quickly held on to and pursued in his life. I have a very uh, humbling uh, experience that I want to share with you, and that was from uh, our recent trip to Lads to Leaders. Um, you see, our, uh, our 12th grade puppet team, I will be completely honest, we felt incredibly confident. Um, last year, we, had, uh, we got first place, and we were absolutely thrilled about that. And so this whole time as we were preparing or um, preparing still quite a bit, but not as much maybe as we, we should have or wanted to, uh, we were very confident that we were going to take first place yet again. And uh, so we had really kind of built ourselves up uh, in this way. And, and we had really, uh, we just knew uh, that when it was time to hear the placing, we were more concerned about what place we were going to end up getting and not if our name was going to be called at all. Um, if you were at Lads, then you know how this story ends for us. Um, but if not, I will just tell you that they called out three names, and those three names were not ours. 
And uh, we were very initially devastated and, and a little bit in shock. But here's what I want you to understand and, and hopefully what, uh, what all of us were able to gain from this. First of all, it was not really about winning. What we did was not about uh, us trying to get this first place trophy. We learned that it was more so about doing the best that we could. And I believe that we did that. Um, we also learned that we uh, needed to be more confident in the amount of time that we put in rather than the place that we were expecting. Not just in this situation, but I think basically in every situation we find ourselves in, in life, we want to be first and we want to be recognized as the best. Uh, and whether that is a part of um, you know, the, the sports that you play or maybe just the, the job that you do or the career that you have, I think that it's very common for, for all of us to, to aim to be first, for us to try and be the absolute best and recognized as the best at what we do. But we see in the Gospels that Jesus brings us a completely different idea about this. Because what Jesus actually tells us is that we are to aim to be last. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that we are supposed to, uh, to try to lose the games that we participate in and that we're supposed to aim to be the absolute worst at our job. The idea is not to stop putting forth effort. I think this is best explained in, in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to turn there with me. And in Matthew chapter 20, uh, we see the mother of James and John. And we see that she is asking, or she has this request, and her request is that her sons would be the best. Now, I think this is a very, uh, to be honest, I think this is a very mom thing to do. Um, I think that probably any mom, uh, almost in the world, probably thinks that their child is, is the best or is going to be the best or should be the best. And, and a lot of times moms will do whatever it takes to make sure that their child makes it to the top. If their child wants to go to the top, they're right there with them. And obviously, I, I love that, and my mom has been a big supporter uh, in my life. And, and we see this take place here uh, with the mother of, of James and of John. But basically, she's, she's talking to Jesus, and she knows, you know, oh, they're, they're in kind of on the inside of this. They're one of these 12 but let me see, you know, if I can kind of secure their position at the top of these 12. And so basically she then requests to Jesus, um, how about you let James and John, you let them sit at, the, at your left and your right in the kingdom. How about you let them be right there next to you in your kingdom? And of course, 
Uh, she's probably not really understanding exactly what this kingdom really is. But we see the response of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, beginning in verse 25, this is, uh, this is the response that we see. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what Jesus was saying here is that I'm, I'm not here on this earth to be a ruler. I'm not here to, to rule and to make this kingdom reign over all of these people. I am here to serve. And he also tells them that, that they should follow in his footsteps when it comes to being a servant. He tells them that the greatest is the one who lives as the least. And we see through the words of Christ that it's not about me. Life is not about you. In fact, the less that you live for self, the better. The less that you are able to, uh, to put your own priorities in front of those of others or in front of those of Jesus, the better. I think that it's probably safe to say, at least over the span of the last year or two years or several years, not so much, maybe not short term, but long term, I think it's safe to say that, that Mark and I are probably the most mentioned in prayer along with the elders. We are probably the ones whose names are brought up the most. Um, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. First of all, I and Mark are both uh, very thankful for the prayers that we receive. We are very thankful that we have so much support and so many people that are willing to, to remember us and, and put us in prayer and, uh, and continue to, to lift us up to our God. But what I want to do is I want to challenge you, uh, whether it be at home in your own personal prayers, or, or if you, you are a, a man that comes up and, and will pray on behalf of the church, I want to challenge you to pray for someone else. I want to challenge you to put someone in prayer in my place, in Mark's place, when you pray. Now, I want to also say this. I, I need prayer just as much as anyone else. I am just as much guilty uh, of sin as, as any other person. But on the reverse side of that, that means that anyone else needs prayer just as much as I do. And I get a lot of it. And I want other people to also get a lot of this prayer. 
At the beginning of this year, we talked about this church. Um, I, one of the, I was very privileged to get to actually preach technically on the first Sunday of the month, even though it was like the seventh, uh, it was the last day of, um, of the upcoming year. That sounds confusing, but the first Sunday of the year technically. And uh, I was able to kind of talk about the church and the congregation and how we are a family. And I hope that not only then, but I hope even at this point, we're able to, to look at ourselves and think of ourselves in this mindset. And I want us to think about the fact that there are so many who, who do take the time to live for others. Um, there are many in this church that take a role behind the scenes. There are people who do many selfless things and we may not even realize it. So I want to encourage you to not forget those who will gladly take the floor. Now, this might not make entirely, uh, it might not make sense at this point, uh, but this has to do with uh, the verse that, uh, that we read earlier this morning. In James chapter 2, and I want to look at this verse again. Now, I've actually used this verse before, uh, I think a couple of years back. Uh, but I want to bring this to our attention again, but use it for a completely different reason, put a different emphasis on what we can learn from this passage. So in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Again, it reads, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man one, uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You see, it's not the ones in fine clothing that inherit the kingdom. It is not the people that consider themselves the best that will inherit the kingdom. It is not those who aim to be first that will be the ones that inherit the kingdom. It's those who are on the floor. It's those who are the ones that will give all they can to other people. It is those who recognize that it's not about me. These are the people who will willingly give up their places and will take a position of humility for the sake of other people. See, our life, it doesn't need to look like we are the ones living it. Our whole goal in life is to live as Christ. Is to live as if Christ 
lives in me. And our goal is to put Christ first. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, it says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Some translations would say that in everything He might be first. See, this life is not about me. It's about Him. Our life is not about the things that we want. Our life is not about us making sure that when others look at us, we look like we are the best, like we are on top. What's most important is that when people look at our lives, they don't see us at all. They see Him. I think that it's safe to say that the battle with selfishness will always be a lifelong struggle. And I will be honest, that is a battle that that I face just as much as anyone else. There are days when, when I choose myself, when I choose myself over others, when I choose myself over my God. There's days when, when I come first and Christ is forgotten. But we all have to remember that this life is not about me. And that each day when we wake up, we have to make the decision that we're going to live for Him. That we're not going to live a, a selfish life, but we will live a selfless life. Looking back at all these different passages that we looked at and these different people, I think it's safe to ask, or good for us to even ask, are we like David? Are we like David in this situation who went to great lengths in order for things to go his way, in order for things to work out the way that, that he wanted them to? Are we a lot like the mother of the sons of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, trying our best to make sure that we are the greatest, to make sure that we are recognized at the top, recognized as being first? Or are we capable of sitting at the feet of others? Are we someone who is able to to put aside the things that maybe we want in our own selfish lives and say, those things aren't really what matters. What really matters is that I do everything I can to be a servant. Just like Jesus told His disciples to be a servant and a slave for other people. 
Are you capable of sitting at the feet of others? Every time that we finish a sermon, we offer the invitation. And really, the invitation is our opportunity to choose Him. It is our chance for us to be able to say, this life is not about me. This life is about Him. You decided to to be here today. And I think that in being here today, I think that you proved that your relationship with your God has some value. That there is some desire that you have to be connected to your God, to allow Him to be first in your life. But it's possible that earlier this week, earlier this month, uh, earlier this year, you can look back and realize that, that you've been living for yourself. And I know that this is a concept and an idea. Um, I, I believe that I, I've probably spoken on a couple different times. But it's because it's so important that we understand that we are not first, that we do not need to be first. And that our life revolves around the idea of living for our God. And when people see us, they don't see someone aiming to be the best. They see someone aiming to be Jesus. And maybe you're here and you realize that He needs to be first in your life. Maybe you haven't yet been baptized and and you want to put... Christ on in baptism and prove once and for all that He is first. Maybe you are living a life that you realize is all about you. And now you know and you realize that life's not about me. It's about Him. If there is anything we can do for you this morning, I invite you to come forward as we stand, as we sing.